the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. God has changed you by his powerful gospel. So let others see his power by your transformed life. Let them see it. That's how you show forth God's power. Now, so far, we've seen four virtues of Stephen. He was a man full of faith. He was a man full of the spirit. He was a man full of grace. He was a man full of power. But from this point on in the passage, Stephen comes under attack for his preaching of Christ. And as Luke tells us what happened next, he gives us a fifth virtue of Stephen, which is that he was full of wisdom, starting in verse 9. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. Now, what we read here is that in spite of Stephen's great character, his godliness, the great things he was doing, specifically the miracles, his preaching, some men rose up in opposition to him. transformational power of the gospel makes us different than we were before we were in Jesus Christ. Today on Verse by Verse, we will continue to study in Acts chapter 6. One of the topics Pastor Steve Kreloff has for us are the implications of the four virtues in Stephen's life. It is important that those around us see the changes Christ has made in our lives, and Stephen is an excellent example for us. Now, perhaps you've heard a person refer to someone else as being full of it. I'd much rather have someone refer to you or me as full of faith, grace, the Holy Spirit. So let's get our Bibles open to Acts chapter 6 and see what Pastor Steve has for us today. According to the New Testament, only apostles were given the ability to perform miracles. And the reason for this is spelled out in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't do miracles today. It just means there are no apostles that he's doing miracles through. There are no men that he's given this gift to that do this. But here's the reason. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle, Paul said, were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. How would you know who is a true apostle? Paul said, well, they would do miracles and signs. If everybody could do that, then it wouldn't make any sense. You wouldn't know who a true apostle was. Only the apostles could do this. But Stephen was not an apostle. Yet we read that he was doing apostolic-type miracles. And the same is true of his deacon colleague, Philip, which we will read about in Acts chapter 8, that he did miracles in Samaria. So why were these men able to do miracles like the apostles? As I said earlier, 
It apparently is because their ministry was so linked and so associated with the apostles that they were essentially an extension of the apostles. And so Stephen, working closely with the 12 apostles, had experienced the same gift. God had given him the same gift, the power to heal others, so that he was full of spiritual power. As I've told you before, the miracles that the apostles did, they were not ends in and of themselves. They were done for the purpose of authenticating them, verifying them as Christ's true ambassadors. So they didn't simply do miracles and then stop at that, say, look at me, I did a miracle. No, they also preached the gospel because the miracles verified that they represented Christ and that the message they spoke was from him. Miracles and gospel preaching always went hand in hand. And I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The writer says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, watch this, Jesus gave the message of salvation first. It was confirmed to us by those who heard. That's the apostles. The writer is saying, Jesus spoke it. The apostles then passed it on to us. Verse 4, God also testifying with them. With who? The apostles. Both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So the apostles told them about salvation. And then they did miracles that authenticated them as the authorized representatives of Jesus Christ. So the question is, How in the world do we apply this to our lives when we don't have this kind of miraculous healing power? We don't have this. Miracles don't authenticate us as Christ's followers. So how do we apply this? Well, what authenticates you as a follower of Jesus Christ is that you are to demonstrate by the way you live that the power of the gospel has transformed you. It's changed you. In other words, let people see Christ's power in you by the way you live. Let them see how he has changed your life from being a rebellious, self-absorbed sinner to someone who now loves the Lord, who now wants to obey the Lord, and who is now kind to others. That's so different than the way we once were. I love what Titus is told by Paul, Titus chapter 3, 1 through 5, remind them, Paul says, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So let's stop here. He says, remind them to do these things. And then he says, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, Spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Listen, folks, this is the way we were. If you are a converted individual, you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Everything Paul says about these people was true of us. But when the kindness of God appeared and he saved you, you were transformed. God has changed you by his powerful gospel. So let others see his power by your transformed life. Let them see it. That's how you show forth God's power. Now, so far we've seen four virtues of Stephen. 
He was a man full of faith. He was a man full of the spirit. He was a man full of grace. He was a man full of power. But from this point on in the passage, Stephen comes under attack for his preaching of Christ. And as Luke tells us what happened next, he gives us a fifth virtue of Stephen, which is that he was full of wisdom, starting in verse 9. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. Now what we read here is that in spite of Stephen's great character, his godliness, the great things he was doing, specifically the miracles, his preaching, some men rose up in opposition to him. And Luke identifies these men as belonging to a local synagogue in the city of Jerusalem known as the synagogue of the freedmen. Now synagogues are places even today where Jewish people meet for Bible study and worship. They're like our churches. Their origin dates back to the time of the Jewish captivity when Jewish people had no access to the temple in Jerusalem. And this particular synagogue that Luke mentions was called the synagogue of the freedmen because its members were descendants of Jewish men who had once been slaves, having been captured by the Romans in 63 BC under General Pompey, and they were taken to Rome. Eventually, these Jewish slaves were set free and they formed a Jewish community in Jerusalem, establishing their own synagogue. In addition, Luke speaks of men from different cities of the world. He speaks of Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and that would be men from North Africa. Then he speaks of men from Cilicia and Asia, which would be men from Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey. Now, it isn't clear whether Luke means that these men from these four cities made up the synagogue of the freedmen, or if these men had their own distinct synagogues. We really don't know. It's not that important to know how many synagogues are represented here. What is interesting is that Saul of Tarsus, as you recall, was from Cilicia. So it is very possible that he was part of this synagogue. And if that is the case, then he most likely would have heard Stephen's preaching and would have been involved in debating him. Isn't that interesting? Because Luke tells us that these men took exception to what Stephen was preaching, and they began arguing and debating with him. And while Luke doesn't give us any of the details here of this debate, we do know from Stephen's eventual defense before the Sanhedrin that what they must have been arguing with him about was his preaching that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and that the Mosaic law and the temple rituals were unable to save anybody's soul. And so these men rose up, probably in the very building, the synagogue itself, which apparently Stephen attended, and they began pushing back on what he was saying and publicly debating him. But notice what Luke tells us happened when they debated with Stephen. He says in verse 10, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Though all these men, and we don't know how many were involved, All of them were engaging Stephen in debate, arguing with him about what he was saying concerning Jesus, the law, the temple. They were unable to cope with his godly wisdom, which came from the Holy Spirit himself. This is exactly what Jesus predicted would happen and promised would happen with his followers. He said in Luke 21, 15, for I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. 
We see it happening right here. See, the wisdom and the reasoning of these Jewish men, they were no match for Stephen. Because why? He refuted their arguments with Scripture. That is the wisdom of God. As we'll see in his defense before the Sanhedrin, everything he said was based on Scripture. And folks, that's why Stephen was such a great man. That's why he's such a wonderful example for us to follow, because he was a man full of divine wisdom. His life was saturated with the Word of God. His beliefs were based on Scripture, and his defense was the Bible and not human wisdom. Listen, this man's life was marked by the wisdom of God's Word, and that's exactly what should mark our lives. The danger, though, the danger we face is that sometimes... When our faith is challenged, we are tempted to resort to intellectual arguments based strictly on human reasoning in order to defend Christianity. And why do we do this? Because we don't want to appear to be unlearned simpletons. But Stephen didn't do that, nor did the Apostle Paul, one of the most learned men of his generation. When Paul ministered to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians were highly philosophical because their whole culture was steeped in Greek thinking and philosophy. The apostle tells us that he refused to accommodate the Corinthians by adding some Greek philosophy to his message. Notice what he said to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. He means Greek philosophy proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. He means I didn't come giving you Greek philosophy to try to impress you with how much I knew. I stuck to the word of God and I preached Christ and him crucified. So Paul refused to be drawn away from the truth of God's word. He didn't try to persuade them with intellectual Greek philosophical arguments. He was determined to preach Christ and Christ's death for sinners. And that's exactly what I encourage you to do. Make sure that when someone challenges your faith, that your response is to say what scripture says. Do what Billy Graham used to do. The Bible says that's what you need. That's all you need. Don't be afraid of appearing to be unsophisticated and unacademic. The Bible is the word of God. It is the wisdom of God. Tell them what scripture says. And no one can refute the wisdom of God. Now, when these Jewish men from these synagogues realized that they were unable to cope with Stephen's biblical wisdom and that they were losing what had actually started out as an honest debate. They resorted to what we would call a smear campaign. They did it to discredit Stephen. Luke tells us what they did in the verses that follow, starting in verse 11. Then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we've heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. So unable to honestly debate Stephen, they resort to dishonesty now 
by recruiting some men to make false accusations against Stephen, claiming that he was speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God, meaning that they were accusing him of speaking evil against the law of Moses and against God, most likely the temple of God. Quite a serious charge because Leviticus 24.16 says it was punishable by death. And because this was such a serious charge and because the Jewish people were so zealous for the Mosaic law and God's temple as his dwelling place on earth, we read in verse 12 that these men stirred up the people, including members of the Sanhedrin. They grabbed hold of Stephen. They violently dragged him out of the synagogue and brought him before the high council, the Sanhedrin. And before Stephen could speak in his defense, those from the synagogue who had debated him, they put forth the same false witnesses who had accused him, and they leveled now the same false charges against him. That in his teaching, he had continuously spoken against the holy place, meaning the temple, and against the law of Moses. Now understand what these false witnesses are doing. They are twisting Stephen's words. Did he speak against the law of Moses? Of course not. But what he apparently said is that the keeping of the law could save no one. And now that the Messiah had come, the ceremonial laws were being set aside by God so that the reality of Jesus the Messiah had replaced all the rituals which merely pointed to him. They were shadows of him. And by the way, that's exactly what the writer to the Hebrews says. That's the message of Hebrews. And as far as the temple is concerned, apparently Stephen taught that God's presence is not limited to one dwelling place on earth. And we know that because that was his defense in chapter 7. But these false witnesses twisted Stephen's words, and they made it sound as if he was opposed to the temple of God, so much so that he wanted it torn down. Why do I say that? Notice what they said, he said, about the temple in verse 14. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Now it is true that Jesus had said back in John chapter 2, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. But he was speaking of the temple of his body, not the physical structure in Jerusalem, but this false charge, as you'll recall, this is the same charge that had been used against Jesus at his trial, and apparently with great success. So now they're doing the same thing against Stephen, and it also has great success. So these were the charges brought against him. And once the council finished hearing these charges, Luke tells us in the final verse, verse 15, that they just stared at Stephen. They stared at him. And what they saw when they stared at him reveals one final virtue about this great man. It reveals that he communed with God. Verse 15, fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. So as the men of the council fixed their gaze on Stephen, his face, Luke says, took on the face and the appearance of an angel. So what does that mean? Well, it means that like an angel who had been in God's presence, Stephen's face had the same look of someone who had spent time with God. Someone who radiated God's glory because he had been with God. Someone who had just come from God's throne room. That's what it means. 
And now the only other mere human that we know of who has ever had the same experience of having their face radiate the glory of God is Moses. We read in Exodus 34:29. it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. Now think about this. Think about what Stephen has been accused of. He's been accused of speaking against the law of Moses that God handed down to the Jewish people. But by putting his glory on the face of Stephen, just as he did with Moses, God is making a very loud statement of his approval of Stephen's message about Moses and the law. In other words, God is saying, Stephen's message is correct. He is my witness. I approve of his teaching. As we'll see in the next time we study Acts, the council didn't care what God was saying. It didn't change their opinion of Stephen. But what Stephen's radiance ought to say to us is not only that God approved of him and his teaching, but that here was a man who spent time with God. Here was a man who communed with God, who fellowshiped with God, who spoke with him, who let the word of God speak to him. Folks, There is nothing more important in life than communing with God, meaning spending time with him. There's nothing more important than spending time fellowshipping with the Lord. Not only a daily quiet time, which I have stressed many times to you, that if you're too busy to have a few minutes with the Lord in the morning or whatever time fits your schedule, you're just too busy. But it also means that you are conscious of his presence as you walk throughout the day, that you set the Lord always before you. That's how Stephen lived. This was part of his greatness. It ought to motivate us to be in communion with our Lord, just as Stephen was. As you walk through the day, you speak to him, you think about the word of God, you recognize that though you can't see Christ, he's with you. He's here. In fact, everything we've learned today about Stephen ought to create a desire in us to be like this great man, We want to follow in his footsteps. We want to pursue godliness like he did. So ask the Lord to develop these six godly virtues in you. Faith, submission, grace, spiritual power, wisdom, communion with him. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you really can't do that because you need to first trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to recognize that you're a sinner that God is holy, and because he's holy and you are not, nor is anyone else except God, that you are in danger of being eternally punished by God. That's what his holiness and justice demands. But in God's mercy, God became a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and he died on the cross. That was his design. He died on the cross for sinners like you, Dying, being judged in the place of our judgment, of what we deserve. And he invites you, he commands you to repent of your sin, turn from your sin of self-absorption, and turn to him trusting his death on the cross alone, alone for your salvation. Nothing added to it. It is the gift of God. Trust Christ.
Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for this man, though brief in life, brief in ministry, he was a great man. A great man, Lord, a noble man, a man who has been enjoying your presence now for over 2,000 years. And Lord, we pray that those who know you in our congregation would be inspired, would be motivated to pursue these virtues because this is your will for us to be like this man because Stephen was like you and his life pleased you. So we pray to that end. We also pray for those who may never have trusted you, Lord. Only you can open their hearts. Only you can show them that they are sinners and that they need Christ as their Savior. They need more than a church affiliation. They need more than religion. They need Christ. And we pray that you will draw them to the Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 6 verse 15 said that those who were sitting in council against Stephen saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I think it's one thing to have an angelic countenance when everything is going our way, or I should say my way. However, for Stephen, he was definitely in a pressure cooker. I guess that is the type of situation that shows who we really are inside. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you would like to go back and listen to today's broadcast again, you can do so by signing up at the Verse by Verse podcast at versebyverseradio.org. The podcast link is on the right-hand side of the page. That's versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.